My daughter was about five months old when she saw her first bank robbery. Uh, we were living in Florida at the time, and you might have actually been able to guess that already just from the information you already possess. Uh, but we were living in Florida, and uh, we were driving past this strip mall where there was a Bank of America. And as we're driving past really slowly, uh, these two guys, really tall guys, come blasting out of uh, the bank. They weren't wearing masks, which at the time was normal, right? Except unless you're robbing a bank, in which case that seems like kind of a good idea, right? So they come blasting out. They are grinning from ear to ear, carrying these bags. They jump in their car and absolutely go peeling out. In the time that it took for this to happen, I still hadn't actually registered what I was seeing. They pulled out right in front of us, and as soon as they tried to get out of the, the strip mall parking lot, they lost control of the car, slammed it into a giant pole, and wrapped it. But they started trying to get out, but before they could even get out, the police were on them, and they were arrested. I immediately thought probably what most of you are thinking, which is, I could have done that so much better, right? <laughs> there were obvious gaps in uh, the quality of this plan. I mean, just basic ones. Does this ever happen to you, like where you go to like, a jewelry store or a bank or something, and you have no intention of actually robbing the place, but you can't help but notice that there's this big blind spot over there by the table, and if you just waited until the person at the till wasn't looking, you could duck down, and nobody would be able to see you, and uh, it, you, know, you, you formulate a little plan, and then you chuckle to yourself about what a master criminal the world was denied, and uh, uh, you go on your merry way, right? Planning is kind of one of those things that's intrinsic to us. But even when you take the dumbest criminals, you still can turn them into master schemers. When you look at uh, the history of prison escapes, these guys come up with astonishing plans. Even the dumbest of criminals will come up with these great plans. Uh, there was this one, he, was, he fashioned weapons and dug his way out and he had escape apparatuses and disguises and decoys. It was an extremely elaborate plan. He got out. They arrested him six hours later at his girlfriend's house, right? His plan to get out was MacGyver in quality. And it was followed by this objectively dumb decision. How was it that he was able to be so smart in the development of this scheme to get him out of prison where we've got hundreds of people watching and millions of dollars invested in all these structures and safety measures? Well, he was able to sit and think about it. He had nothing but time to think about how he was going to get out. He was able to be single-minded in his dedication to this. And the guy had nothing to lose. Didn't matter that he wasn't clever uh, or a master criminal. You give a guy enough time, take away enough of the potential loss, give him enough dedication to the topic, might come up with something pretty incredible. This works for dumb humans, which makes it a little creepier when we think about the way in which the devil thinks about us. Because the devil is a creature in prison. He has nothing but time. He is single-minded in his dedication to your death 
The only thing he wants is to make sure that he can kill you forever. And he is clever, and he's got nothing to lose. Well, if prisons, where we dump all these resources into them to try to keep dumb criminals inside of them, can't do their job, given those factors, how on earth are we supposed to protect ourselves from this uber foe who has all of these same attributes that made these guys be able to pull off epic things and in addition to that is a brilliant schemer. How do we protect ourselves from something that doesn't sleep, rest, take breaks, relax, doesn't know anything about mercy, doesn't care about fair play, only wants to see you dead and dead forever? We get a little bit of that answer in our verses today. We get a big part of that answer in our verses today. These follow three chapters of Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and it's basically just been continual instruction for uh, living a Christian life, right? The way to conduct yourself. And we join here where we kind of come to this conclusion uh, for all of these instructions. Our verses are taken from the sixth chapter of the letter that Paul sent to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians. We'll start reading at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, right away, something that jumps out at me about these verses is that word wiles, uh, which is not one that I typically employ uh, because I'm not a grizzled 19th century prospector. Uh, it, the only time I can really think of that I encounter the word wile or wiles is with Wiley Coyote, you know, from Looney Tunes. And actually, in that sense, it works reasonably well. Uh, the typical way you see this tra word translated is scheme, but that doesn't quite capture the full force of this word, right? With Wiley Coyote, he will develop these exceedingly elaborate plans. And not only are they elaborate plans, he has like fallback after fallback after fallback after fallback plan. He'll de develop this enormous complicated strategy and all he's trying to do is catch a roadrunner so that he can eat it, right? But the universe is just arrayed against him and that's the reason that his plans consistently fail. That's a reasonably good picture for what the devil has and can do. The word here for that's wiles or schemes is this idea that there's this dedicated level of planning, almost an obsession where you're thinking and putting pieces together, joining things together and making a strong device to bring someone or something down. This is the devil's situation. He has the time, he has the smarts, he has the dedication and he has the lack of consequence necessary uh, to do nothing other than plan your eternal, immortal destruction. And we play into his hands so easily. He's got millennia of experience in seeing how we are weak, what we fall for. And one of the biggest arrows in his quiver is the fact that we just don't seem to learn we go back to the same things that ruined us over and over and over. 
if we can't keep even idiot criminals out or inside of a prison, how are we supposed to protect ourselves from something that knows us so well and has plans for us that are so well developed? As frightening as the devil's single-minded dedication to your destruction is, it's comforting that Christ had a single-minded dedication to your salvation. And it throws an even more brilliant light on everything that he did. When we look at these verses, you know, they're about cool stuff. Armor. I was tempted to bring a suit of armor in today because I'm a nerd and it's talking about armor and I will use literally any excuse I can think of to wear armor to school, okay? Uh, I, it's the thing that immediately draws us. The idea of standing there with a shield and clad in armor with a sword and I've got a lovely like Norwegian broadsword with runes on it and everything. Uh, I would love it, right? And the whole image there and then the devil snarling down at me, right? Like, it's a great image. But man, is it ever all about me. That is an image that, and there's a tendency, I think, when we look at these verses, to make them uh, about us and about what we're supposed to do to face off against the devil. But we miss then what, uh, uh, where the power in these verses actually comes from. Take another look. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The devil spent his entire existence plotting your destruction, but Jesus dedicated his life and his death to your salvation. Throughout his entire life, Jesus demonstrated how invulnerable and impervious he was to the devil's attacks. He faced all the temptations that we face under the worst possible circumstances. He would go out and he had been starved and dehydrated. And the devil came and tempted him and he couldn't overcome him. He had spent a life of poverty and suffering in which he had done nothing wrong. And they crucified him like a criminal. And he still didn't fall, for the, uh, uh, fall to the devil in those instances. He died. And even that couldn't protect the devil from him. Remember when Jesus descended into hell? That was not to suffer. That was to demonstrate nothing could keep the devil safe from Christ. Do you know where the tradition of flipping somebody off came from? This might seem like kind of a digression now, right? There's, it came from, now this is apocryphal, so if this isn't true, then I'm sure I'll hear about it from, um, from Regals. Uh, but, Here's what the tradition is that I'm familiar with, okay? In, the, uh, in, in uh, medieval times, longbowmen were ridiculously OP. And uh, they were extremely overpowered, right? So if you were a longbowman, you could end a guy who had spent his entire life doing nothing but training from this ridiculous distance. Welsh longbowmen were the most famous for this, actually. And so you could fire this missile, and it would just soar and soar and soar, and boop, there goes 40 years of training on the other end of, uh, of the arrows. Epic. And so what they would do, if they caught a longbowman, if they captured a longbowman alive, they would cut off his middle finger. Because if you cut off their middle finger, then all of a sudden, they can't draw the bowstring back anymore and thereby be like, you know, the executioners of war. 
So if you were a longbowman and you were getting away, what you would do is waggle your middle finger at the opposing army to demonstrate to them that you're still here and you're still dangerous and you're going to come back and kill a whole bunch of them. In that respect, and I apologize if this seems a little bit crass, but in that respect, it was a pretty big middle finger when Jesus went walking into hell and delivered a sermon there. There was a sermon delivered in the bowels of hell because Jesus is that powerful and the devil was that beaten. When we talk about putting on the armor of God, we aren't equipping ourselves to do something epic. We are putting on Christ who has done something epic. Christ, who has demonstrated how impervious and invulnerable he is to the worst things that the devil has to throw at him. Christ, who has demonstrated how powerful he is to render the devil weak and helpless and beaten. This is the armor that we put on. We put on Christ, Christ's death on the cross for you, the message of who God is, the reasons why he revealed himself to you, all of it, to protect you from Satan who could drag you to hell. That Christ took everything, every device that he had, every sin that you have committed that could have pulled your soul there, and he carried it on himself instead and destroyed it that he gave you perfection instead. And the only thing that is required is faith, and even that God gives to you. We are threatened by powers beyond our ability to protect ourselves. But protecting us is a power that is greater than any of them by far. Our Jesus is a weapon that horrifies the scheming enemy, and our God is protection that gives us eternal security. Amen.